Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from our guest speaker. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or our website for ways to give. Thank you so much, Phil. I feel the same about you, honestly, and and this whole house, actually. This is one of my very favorite places uh, in America to be, and you're just, I don't know if you know how blessed you are by your worship. Um, What God is doing in this house is remarkable in many, many ways, and one of them is worship, and not only is it excellent, but it's pure, and I just, I just want to say I was just undone this morning, just with the purity and the hunger for the presence of God that's in this house. I'm so encouraged. And you know, God always responds to hunger. It's a principle. It's an eternal reality. And so I'm just so honored, so encouraged to be with you guys. This morning, it's like a family reunion. It's been, I don't know, year two or something. I don't know since I've been here, but... Um, I also just want to let you know, I think I'm going to preach with my eyes closed today. (laughs) Just kidding. That was awesome. I love that. So anyway, I I just wanted to uh, share, I do think I have a word this morning for you guys. Um, I'm so encouraged by what God's doing in the next generation right now, in Gen Z. Just when I was thinking about tonight, if you are Gen Z, I want to encourage you to come out tonight. I just, I think God is doing something, not because I'm here or anything else, but because this really is a revival generation. I mean, God is moving right now so powerfully. We just, a couple weeks ago, finished a big tent event in Tampa. And by the way, if you're going to do an outdoor event in February, you definitely want it to be in Florida. So I'm just putting that out there. It's cold up here. I hadn't put a winter coat on all year because I just moved to Florida, by the way. I hadn't put a winter coat on all year until I was in Kansas City last week, and I had to find the coat in the box and put it on, and I, I almost died. <laughs> I'm not sure if I, I almost did not survive the Midwest last week, so uh, it's also cold here, but not as cold, so that's good. But I, I'm, I'm really encouraged by what God's doing. We had about 3,000 Gen Z kids under this tent, and they were going to worship through the roof a couple weeks ago. I mean, it was like unstoppable, and I, I remember one, one lady, she's actually in her 20s, um, is an administrator, one of the key administrators on the team with the church we're partnered with in Florida, and how many appreciate min- administrators? Where are they at? Come on. I love them. I am not one, but I love them. And this is, this is my friend. She's just like, I mean, she builds the systems and the back end, and she's a genius at systems. And so she's doing that, and she gets under the tent, in the, and it's not about a tent. It's not about an event. It, it's something that God's doing in the hearts of a generation to captivate their affections. And so under this tent, and um, she's doing her normal role as she's stage managing, doing all this administrative behind the scenes. She gets under the tent, and, and somebody's asking, where, where'd she go? Because she had fallen out under the power of God. The administrator, how many of you know that's a special moment? <laughs> when the administrator can't administrate, God might be moving. 
course, we need administrators when God's moving. So, but anyway, she was laying and she was out for, I don't know how long. And it's, you have to imagine, I mean, it's a couple thousand, mostly Gen Zers. And it was 24 hours for like 50 hours. So 50 hours, not 24 hours. It was 50 hours of worship and prayer just didn't stop. And, um, she's laying there and all of a sudden she goes, why am I outside of the tent in the rain right now? She's like, who, she's laying there on the ground. She goes, who dragged me out of the tent and put me in the rain? And then she like kind of comes to, and as a side note, I don't think anybody prayed for her. This wasn't like the altar call line where you're supposed to fall down. You know what I'm talking about? There was no catcher. There was none of that. It wasn't wasn't that moment. You weren't supposed to do this, especially when you're supposed to stage manage. But, But she... She goes, who dragged me out of the tent into the rain? And then she kind of comes to and realizes not only is she still under the tent, but it's not raining. And she had this physical sense of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was beginning to take place, not because there's anything special about any of us or a tent or whatever else, but because God always responds to spiritual hunger. He's a lover first. And God began to just gently and powerfully pour out his spirit um, on this next generation. And I'm just so encouraged. I just got a text message. I was driving here with um, the crew last night, just coming from the airport and uh, get a text message from this group of Gen Zers in Tampa that called spontaneous worship nights all over the city. I mean, they're happening everywhere, and, no, and there's no 501c3 connected to any of them. Literally, there's a Christian school. This kid, he, he was in my house yesterday. He's 16 years old. He goes to a Christian school. He told me they had a chapel service last week, and the chapel service refused to end. And none of the teachers knew what to do. And he go, and I'm sitting there at my breakfast table because we had a little brunch. This 16-year-old kid sitting across from me yesterday, and he goes, we're in the middle of an awakening. And I I just suddenly felt like, I think he's right. You know, if you've been around a while, you get a little cynical with words like revival and awakening. Can we just be honest about that right now? And and you start to go, yeah, you know, I've been there, done that. And I felt like the Lord checked me right on the spot and goes, don't. Don't put your cynical hat on right now. I'm doing something. And he's always doing something. But he's doing something. And these spontaneous worship nights are breaking out all over actually all over the nation. How many of you remember the Asbury outpouring last year? You know, it was 10, 15 kids that refused to leave a chapel service. Nothing special. I love that because God literally was toppling celebrity Christianity in one fell swoop. Because the celebrity Christian leaders had to sit on the back row while the unknown 18-year-old worship leaders stood on the platform 24 hours a day spontaneously, supernaturally. And I think we need to be encouraged in the midst of the season that we're in that God has a hope pathway forward for us. And I, that's what I want to share about this morning. But I'm just so encouraged. I was, I was even reminiscing last night. It was in Pennsylvania. I was here. I was driving to Harrisburg for a YWAM DTS to teach at a YWAM school. And I'm driving through the mountains. I don't even know where I was in Pennsylvania. This was a few years ago. And it's dark and it's cloudy. And the Pennsylvania highways are scary when it's dark and cloudy. 
and, and like, because it, it's so dark, your, your headlights don't hit anything. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm driving, and I just, this was uh, probably four, five, I don't remember, a few years ago. More than that, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. I just left Virginia and to go to Pennsylvania, and right before leaving, this man came into my office, and he literally threw $444 on my desk in ones. So it looked like 444000 You know what I'm talking about? He threw it on my desk. And he goes, I believe that God told me to give this to you today. And I'm like, what? And he goes, and this is, this is weird, but he said he's prophetic. There's a good weird and a bad weird, you know. And he said, he goes, you're in a 444-day transition, and God's going to speak to you out of 444 in the Bible. And I'm like, okay, like prophetic people like numbers and things. I, are you guys those people right here in the front row? Okay. <laughs> like I look at a clock, and I see a time. You know what I'm talking about? These people look at clocks, and they're like, oh, it's a word. You know what I'm saying? And so anyway, like he throws this down on my desk, and he's like, you're in a 444-day transition. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I, I'm grateful for the $444. I mean, that's pretty amazing. So it was a good day all in all, but I had no idea what he's talking about. And I leave this, I leave my office, and it's probably a couple days later, my friend comes to me. He's the, he's the pioneer of something called Gen Z for Jesus, which is uh, filling arenas with, you know, five, six, seven thousand 16 to 25 year olds that are on their feet for 12 hours. I, I literally went to the first Gen Z for Jesus. They were at six o'clock in the morning. They were wrapped around the arena, 6 a.m., thousands of teenagers and 20 year olds. And all you can hear is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I went, something is happening. Anyway, this guy was the catalyst for uh, founder of Gen Z for Jesus. And he, he sends me a dream. And he goes, in this dream, you were standing, we were standing together, and there was this group of young people, and the glory of the Lord was resting on them. And he goes, I looked at my watch, and it was 444. And then he goes, I was jolted awake. I don't know what it means. And I'm like, that guy just came in my office with the 440. I'm like, what is he talking about? Well, fast forward another like week or so, and my great friend Randy calls me, and he goes, I had a dream. And in the dream, you were preaching on Ezekiel 44.4. And Ezekiel 44.4 is where the glory of God fills the temple, suddenly comes to the temple. And he says, in the dream, this man walks up, young guy actually walks up to you, and he goes, or, or him in the dream, and says, did you hear the new message that David's preaching? He goes, no. He goes, it's the call of the Neverite. He goes, oh, you mean Nazarite, because that's a Bible word, right? He goes, no, it's the call of the Neverite. It's those that never let the fire on the altar go out. They never cease saying, holy, 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 and they never leave the tent of meeting. Anyway, back to the Pennsylvania mountains. I'm driving through the mountains. This has just happened. And I'm driving through the mountains, and I get this phone call. I'm supposed to jump on a prayer call with these intercessory mamas. How many of you are thankful for intercessory mamas? You guys have those in here? Do, they, do you guys have those in Pennsylvania? I'm talking about praying moms. It was like 150 praying moms on a Zoom call. And they were like, tell us what's going on. I get on this thing. I've got earbuds in. I'm driving through the Pennsylvania mountains. It's pitch black and there's fog and I'm thinking I might die, but 
I have to get on this call with the mamas because I told them we would. So I just told them what I just told you. This just happened. God's raising up Neverites. It's, it's a new generation whose hearts are locked into one thing. They're fascinated not with platforms, prestige, empire building, whatever else, but they're fascinated with the person of Christ himself. And I'm just, I was just sharing this with them, and I told them, I believe it's happening. Well, they, they all start to pray. The, the intercessor mamas, are all, they're all praying. God, do it. And you know, you know how Zoom, it just goes, it's got the compression on it. And so if a lot of sound comes, it just goes quiet. And I knew they were all praying because it was. <laughs> and I'm trying to drive through the Pennsylvania mountains and all. And it's, it's 150 praying moms praying for Gen Z. And I'm like, okay. And the whole time they're praying, my phone is blowing up with text messages. It's like this, this, every few, and it's this kid, 20-year-old kid leading a, a worship gathering back at home. And this is like 11 o'clock at night by this time, and he goes, no matter what time you get this, call me. So I hang up with the intercessor mamas, try not to die on the Pennsylvania highways, and I call my friend Travis, and I go, what in the world, man? He goes, I cannot describe what just happened. He goes, I don't have words for it. It was just 20 or 30 young adults in a living room doing a worship night. And he goes, about two hours into worship, we were completely lost track of time. He goes, I've never been part of worship like this. He's like, it's like the Lord came into the room. And he goes, all of a sudden, in one moment, everyone in the room had the same open vision at the same time. And I was like, wait a minute, back up. Because a lot of times when people say visions, it just means they have an impression and not eyes open. Like, I'm like, clarify this for me. You're talking about eyes open? Every, he goes, eyes open, everyone at the same time. And he goes, I can't. And he's just weeping and he's sobbing. And he said, I stood up in the room and I said, a student awakening is coming to the universities and the high schools of America. How many of you know that's real? It's far from hopeless for the next generation. Anyway, it occurred to me as we were, as I was driving here in Pennsylvania, that, that memory flashed into my mind of that time driving through the Pennsylvania highways when the Lord, I believe, gave a promise that his eyes are on this next generation. And, and by the way, that's about all of us. This isn't one generation is more important than another. This is... Fathers and mothers and sons and daughters. How many of you know that's what God's about? He really is about fathers, mothers, sons, and daughters. He really is a family man. And so the, the call to serve the next generation is a call for all of us because we're all called to be spiritual fathers and mothers and to serve those that, that God is raising up. So it just occurred to me as I was here just to speak out loud again these just testimonies of the reality that God is moving in this hour, this time, in, in powerful and profound ways. So anyway, I want to share a few scriptures with you guys uh, today that I felt like the Lord put on my heart. Um, you know, and before I read this text, it's a famous text uh, passage that Sometimes when you hear a, a passage of Scripture that you've heard many, many times, you can almost gloss over. Do you know what I'm saying? So I want to preface it before we read it, because I believe it's relevant right now. 
Um, about three months ago or so, we were planning, maybe it's four months ago, we were planning to set up this tent. We have a 3,000-person tent, and we were planning to set it up, and, you know, we've been working towards it, and we had the official announcement date, social media, emails, everything. It was the date we were going to roll it out, and I'd called a friend of mine who lives in uh, North Carolina. I invited him to come during the days of the tent. He said, yeah, let me just check my schedule. Let me pray about it, and so we dropped the social media post, the announcement, everything about the tent coming to Florida. And um, I wake up to a text message from my friend. And he says, I had three dreams last night. And uh, this is one of my more trusted friends. He's, he's the real deal. Um, and basically, he says, I had three dreams last night when I was asking the Lord about your tent. And he said, in one of these dreams, and again, this is someone I trust. It's not a flaky person. He, he's got a character and a track record. And he says, in the dream, I was standing in front of Melchizedek. And he goes, I knew it was the Lord. And he said, I'm sorry to even text you this. But he says, the Lord said to me in this dream, I'm not doing any events right now. We just announced. And, I, and I, I just went, what? I'm like, Lord, if you're telling us to shut this down, we shut it down tomorrow. I mean, the last thing any of us want to do is spin our wheels on something that God's not doing. And so in the dream, my friend Ben turns to the Lord and to Melchizedek. And he says, but they're gathering to cry out to you. Isn't that the right response right now? And then, and then in this dream, the, this Melchizedek turns to him and says, yes, that is the right response. But can they do it? And he wakes up. So he sends me this two, in two other dreams too, but he sends me this dream. And how many of you have ever been disrupted before? I mean, we've been working towards this thing. It's not a conference. There's nothing wrong with conferences, but it's not. This is 24-hour this is worship. We literally were gathering to cry out to God and seek his face. That's what we were there for. And, and this thing's resonating in my mind. He actually didn't tell me the second part of the dream where he said, Lord, they're gathering to seek your face isn't that the right thing? And the Lord said, yes, but can they do it? He didn't tell me that part. All he said was, the Lord said he's not doing events. I'm like, well, darn. So I called about four trusted people, and I said, let's judge this word. Let's weigh this thing, man, because we'll shut it down tomorrow. I don't care if we made an announcement and put all this stuff out there and got permits and already put money into it and did all the rest. It goes, we shut it down tomorrow if we're just not with the Lord in this. I mean, I think we would all do that, right? Hopefully, it's like, and so all five or six of my friends, we, we sought the Lord, including the guy that had the dream. And 24 hours later, we jumped on a call, and everybody had the same sense. Everybody had the same word. And it was, it was this, that the invitation of the Lord right now was to 2 Chronicles 7.14. And there was this sense of, and then Ben proceeded to, to share the second. Oh, yeah, he did say by the way, 
that if you gather to seek my face, that's the right response. And I just felt so messed with. I felt like the Lord just checked our hearts. And I, I want to look at this scripture that many of you are, are familiar with. Um, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If you've been around different kinds of prayer movements or different things, you know this text, right? Like we, we put it on our websites and our events and, and uh, maybe if you're new to the faith or something, it might be new to you. But for many of us, we've heard this for years, almost to the point where you gloss over when you hear the text. But the context of this verse is that it's the dedication of Solomon's temple and Solomon had... Um, just dedicated the temple, and the glory of the Lord actually filled the temple. And so it was a profound, uh, it was a profound time in the history of, of Israel. In fact, Solomon was so, I mean, you have to picture this. Solomon literally sacrificed 120, let me get the number right here, 120,000 sheep and 22,000 oxen. Just think about this for a minute. 120,000 sheep and 22,000 oxen? 142,000 animals sacrificed? We're talking about an extravagant offering of love to God. Thank the Lord that we no longer have to do that. Anybody grateful for the new covenant? But still, the extravagance of love was pleasing to the Lord. And you know the story. The glory of God comes in. The priest can't stand to minister. It's a defining moment in human history. And right in the middle of this defining moment, the Lord speaks to Solomon. And he tells him his culture not only for times of crisis, but actually, I would submit it's the culture of the new covenant itself. Which is an invitation, not just to a set of principles, not to a set of, of moral, uh, to a moral code, but to a corporate intimacy with him. I, I would submit that this principle that God gave Solomon right in the middle of the dedication of the temple for Israel's history carries right over into the New Testament, right into the book of Acts, because in Acts chapter 2, they were doing 2 Chronicles 7.14. And then all through the history, now I believe in the new covenant where we're coming in the context of the finished work of the cross, we're not coming as orphans, we're not coming as beggars trying to get God's attention, that is settled. We can come with ridiculous confidence right now. Not some kind of heavy, depressing, God's a million miles away culture. That's settled at the cross. How many of you are thankful for that? That's settled. That rail, that rail, that veil was rent. That's open, right? So how, how many of you know right now you have more access to God than you even know? Much more than angels. Because of the cross. So this was given to Solomon before the cross, but the principle is enhanced 
after the cross, not minimized. We now have more access to draw near, to seek his face, to turn from everything else, to enter into this interaction with God's heart that's not just about a good worship experience, but about a shift in regions and cities and generations. We now have authority that's even beyond the old covenant authority. So I'm not talking about coming as orphans and beggars and depressed and anxious. I'm talking about coming as sons, as daughters, confident, knowing that we can see catalytic change in our hearts and in, not because we're anything, but because God is faithful to his promises. And I felt in that little thing with the tent, I felt like the Lord said, hey, can you do it? I, I honestly heard that as an invitation. It's like the Lord will bless a lot of things he doesn't live in. Do you know what I mean? Yes, he's a good father. He'll bless a lot of stuff we do because he's just like, but I, I'm, I'm hungry. I don't know about you for more than just a blessing on what I'm doing. I want to do something the Lord lives in. Not just visitation, habitation, the whole deal, right? Like, that's what we want in Pennsylvania. That's what we want in our, our lives. And it's what we're invited into in the new covenant, in the gospel, in the cross. And so when we read this text, I just want to, can we read it with that set of eyes? It came in the midst of the glory of God, and it came in the midst, and it's walked out throughout the book of Acts, Throughout the history of the church, in major seasons of just outpouring and transformation. But I, I want to see this with a, a set of fresh eyes because I felt like the Lord said, you know, a lot of times we're looking for a better mousetrap. Like we want some kind of like secret nobody's realized yet. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like when the, and the world, by the way, I call this a hope pathway, a hope pathway. Because a predominant emotion right now in the world, a predominant emotion, I would say a majority of people, even believers, their predominant emotion is hopelessness. Look at what's happening in the world, what's happening in the church right now. And then not to mention what's happening in our personal lives. You put those together and most people emotionally, many people get overwhelmed with hopelessness, but the great news about the gospel and about God's character and nature is that he gives us a way forward. He gives us a pathway, and here's the great news. It's not a mystery. We don't need a better mousetrap on how to respond to the Lord. We don't need some system we've never come up with. It's actually an ancient way. It's a joyful way. It's a sober way because he's the way. I mean, he actually, like, those are preacher words, but that's real. He's the actual way. It's not found within ourselves. And the glory is when we finally turn from everything else and actually set our eyes and our conversation and our hope on who he is, who he said that he is. So this principle goes right into the new covenant. It, it extends in. So just for a moment, I want to look at a few of these phrases. And then we're going to pray. I want to pray this morning for like an impartation, for God's grace to be released. Because how many of you know when, when he said that question in that little dream, 
Can they do it? The answer is no. That's the actual answer. Apart from you, I can do nothing. And it's okay to have that answer. Do you know it's okay to have the answer, God, I I can't do this. But I trust you. I believe in you. And he is able. So I, I let's look at the text quickly. 2 Chronicles 7.14. He says, if there's crisis in the land, this is the response. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, I, again, submit to you, this is not just some Old Testament cranky God principle. This is a glorious invitation in the gospel that we have authority and access to enter into an encounter with the living God that's transformative, not just for our hearts, but for our land. Is there anyone that believes that? And so here we are. He says, number one, if my people. So it's it's corporate. It's not just individuals. It's It's a people, not a person. Will humble themselves. I want to talk about this for a minute. To humble ourselves. How many of you know that's not beat yourself up? Seriously, a lot of times when we hear the phrase humble yourself, you think, okay, so we got to be like really down on ourselves. No, that's not humility. Humility is not to be down on yourself and focused on just failures. Humility is to be authentic, to be vulnerable, to be transparent. To humble ourselves is to acknowledge that we don't have within ourselves the remedy. And that starts feeling negative, but it ends feeling very positive. But the invitation, I believe the invitation right now is to humble ourselves. You know, um, I was reading a little book by a guy named Andrew Murray called Humility. Has anybody ever read that? There's a few in the room. Um, I just want to read this couple sentences from it. He says, when I look at my own experience along with that of other Christians I've known, I'm amazed how little humility is sought after as the distinguishing feature of being Jesus' disciple. In the activities of daily life in the home and with others, And in the more special fellowship with Christians as we work for Jesus, there's far too much evidence that humility is not held up as the highest character trait to seek after. People don't seem to realize that humility is the only root out of which other good character traits can grow. Here's the sentence. Ready? It is the one indispensable condition of true fellowship with Jesus. He says, Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
It's the entry point, but it's also the ongoing culture. See, really what God is saying to Solomon is whenever you're in a crisis, go back to the first things. It's like what Jesus said to the church of Ephesus. In Ephesus 2, he says, I have this one thing against you. You left your first love. Do the things you did at first. Humble yourself. Be honest. Be transparent. Be authentic. You know, a lot of times, as Christians, we become professionals at being Christian. We become external. A lot of, a lot of times this morning, I, I appreciated what Chris prayed at the very end. He goes, we're undone. How many of you know we need a lot more undoing? We're way too done up. We get, we get sophisticated in the wrong way. Sometimes as you grow in, in the Lord or as you're in the church for years, you become external. And dare I say it, you actually can become hypocritical and not even realize it because we can become really good at going through external motions. We're really good at it. We can get in here and worship and give our tithes and be generally good people. And yet the Lord's looking right past it, and he's looking for a people who are humbling themselves in a place of authenticity and hunger and sincerity. They're not hyping anything. It's what Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, to be poor in spirit is to possess nothing, to be free. I'm not, this is not a call from God to be depressed. It's a call to be free, to be authentic. To be able to receive the gospel in an authentic way and to be honest with the people around you and to be honest with God and get out of your self-preservation and your acting and your professionalism and all these things that we do to set ourselves up and make sure nobody knows I've got issues. He goes, this is a way forward. You just get honest. Like honest. I think we're seeing in the body of Christ the painful reality of a lack of transparency and authenticity and honesty in leaders because there's a terrifying notion that if I come clean as a leader that I actually struggle, I could lose everything. And then we opt for the other route, which is religious professionalism, whereby we lose everything. I want to call us in the spirit of 2 Chronicles 7.14 to get free. <sighs> you just need a sigh of relief here. The act can end. You can be free. You can talk to people about what's actually happening, even as a leader. You know, here's a, here's a conviction of, that I'm personally growing in. When you're a father or a mother or a leader or a business owner or a pastor or whatever, and you get honest with even people that are around you, do you know that their respect for you goes up, not down? Do you know that they actually honor you more when you're transparent? That doesn't mean you wear everything on your sleeve to everyone you talk to. There, there, are, there is wisdom in it, but I want to tell you right now, if you're not being honest, authentic, transparent with God... With no hype, no mask, 
No faking. No religious spirit. No celebrity Christianity. These stage, I love what Francis Chan said one time recently. He said, these things are so deceptive. They're so tricky. I want to just put the level playing field out here. God's not looking for you to fix yourself. He's looking for you to be honest, transparent, and humble. And how many of you know that's free? If we have some version, like we've, we've got good theology on justification by faith, hopefully. But in our practical experience, we still get into works. We still think, i got to fix myself, i got to fix myself, i got to perform. And the Lord's like, I'm just looking for a people that will lay it all down with me and one another. And stop hiding and stop faking and stop the religious spirit and stop celebrity Christianity. God is literally dealing a death blow to celebrity Christianity right now. I actually feel like if you want to know a good word for the times, duck. Everybody duck. Get low. Don't go higher. Don't try to promote yourself right now. Go lower. Everyone duck. That's 2 Chronicles 7.14. You can't fix yourself. I'm not asking you to fix yourself. I'm asking you to duck. I'm asking you to prostrate yourself. I'm asking you to be honest with others and honest with yourself and honest with leaders around you and and honest with your spouse, and honest with your kids. Come on, can anybody hear the call? Go lower. Second thing he says, he says, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves. And I'll put in the parentheses there, do the first things. Lose the professionalism in your walk with God. Number two, he says, pray and seek my face. Now, again, I, I believe that there is more power in our voices with God, especially now in the new covenant. I want to show you something quickly. I think I have these verses. I want to show you something from the, what's called the upper room discourse for just a minute. The Upper Room Discourse is, it's John uh, 13 through 17. It's those final words of Jesus before the cross. You know what I'm saying? It's powerful. But I want to show you right in the midst of Jesus' final statement, he gives this reality. Listen to this. John chapter 14, 12 through 14. I think we might have these verses. It says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you... Wait a minute. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. He says, verse 14, you may ask me for anything. Everybody say anything. In my name, and I will do it. John 15, 7 through 8. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you desire, and it will be done. 
By this my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit and so will prove to be my disciples. How many of you know the bearing of much fruit is in the asking? It's in the asking. In other words, it's not from within ourselves. It's in our union with Christ where our voices move his heart. I'm talking about in your weakness, not just when you're up at the altar screaming your head off. I'm talking about when you're driving in the car having a rough day. Your voice in the gospel accesses God's heart. John 15, 16, you did not choose uh, choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go bear uh, fruit, fruit that will last. And he says, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Third time in the upper room discourse. And he goes a fourth time, John 16, uh, 23. He says, very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Four times. The second Chronicle 7:14. I, I think that there is a fresh invitation. Now I, I don't I understand there is a mystery of delays and seemingly unanswered prayers here and there. And that, that's not something I'm minimizing at all. I think we need to lean into that. Understand God's sovereignty, understand the mystery and all of that. But I want to say in the midst of all of our leaning into the mystery, may we not lose this, which is that if we humble ourselves and we lift our voices together, here's the truth. Anything becomes possible. Anything becomes possible. And then he says to seek my face. That word for face is Hebrew word is the same word for presence. It's a people that are prioritizing his manifest presence in their midst. And I'll just say, he also says, to turn from your wicked ways, which looks like something, doesn't it? It's to turn from others. It's to make a conscious decision that you're turning. You're not fixing yourself, but you're turning from everything else in the context of community. You're believing him, and you're making decisions to turn from that which is hindering love. Now, what we just described to you is not a set of works. It's a hope pathway for Pennsylvania, for cities, for regions. Can you hear it? There's an invitation. I believe there's an invitation even today to turn. This is a simple message. But there's an invitation, I believe, to engage this pathway. Can you see the hope in this pathway? Can you see that in the midst of nobody knows what to do? How do we respond in a crazy political season, in a crazy uh, cultural season? The church is shaking, you know, all the stuff, personal crisis, all the stuff. How, nobody knows what to do. People are paralyzed. God told us what to do. Are you thankful? He told us what to do. It's not a mystery. He goes, get transparent. Get honest. 
Go low. Get hungry again. Do the first things. Lift your voice. Seek my face and pray. And I will hear and I will heal. And I feel like the Lord is even saying to this house, test me now in this. Test me in this. I will hear. I will set things in motion that you could never produce. I'm going to speak this faith over us. Thus says the Lord, if I could say it that way. Seek my face. I will set things in motion for you that you could never produce. For your heart, for your community, this is who I am. And this is the response for America right now. This is how we move forward. It's not even as important as elections are. This response is what the Lord is looking for at the heart level. From, from all of us. I don't know what that looks like for you. I'm struck by how significant this pathway is in God's plan. In Isaiah chapter 24, it speaks about how the whole earth, says from the ends of the earth, the Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet looks 2,700 years into the future, and he goes, from the ends of the earth, I hear singing. Have you ever read that text? 2,700 years ago, he looks and he goes, the whole world is singing. And here's the title of the song, Glory to the Righteous One. He was looking into the future and he goes, God's about to call a festival around his presence in every single people group in the earth. And it's part of his blueprint. We got to get with his blueprint, don't we? I'm, I'm talking to the business owners, the moms, the teenagers. Ones with a busy life and a full schedule. Here's a cheat sheet, something you can take. One of the secrets for me that has been life-changing is a prayer list. I, I really mean it. This has changed my life. I just rewrote, I left my phone over there, but I just rewrote a whole list of this is what I'm going after in God. This is what I'm talking to every single day. It's not some religious duty. It's an interaction of faith with God's heart. And we go after it every day. And it's down this. And you, you put verses by each point And you memorize the verses because you start to pray not just your soul, but you start to pray the Bible back to God. And you start to live in this supernatural interaction. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's called faith. You're living in it as an individual. And then you start to live in it as communities. What has God said over this region and over this house? It's time to write it down and speak it. Not in some presumptuous way, but in childlike faith. We're going to say it back to God for one year, two years, three years, five years, ten years. You know, my mom is uh, in hospice care right now in Kansas City. It was a bit of a surprise, the timing of it. It's a long story. But she's one of the most amazing intercessors I've ever met. She prayed for many, many years for all of us. Her dad was an unbeliever. Her sister was living a LGBT lifestyle, had married a woman. Her family was not, and, and her mom and her, her mom and my mom every day for 30 years. And I'll never forget when my grandpa went to California and he came back 
and he announced to the family, and he, by the way, he was abusive, totally an unbeliever, explicitly, and he shows up 60 years old, and he says, I'm a Christian now. And it's Thanksgiving dinner, and he prays over the food. And my mom and her mom are just, what? And then the other sister that was living a certain lifestyle got out of that, sold everything, went on the mission field with Heidi Baker. The whole family comes to Jesus. We're at Thanksgiving dinner. This is for real. We're at Thanksgiving dinner, and this aunt, my aunt, who was in that lifestyle and shifted, she stands up at Thanksgiving. We would all usually be watching football, but this year she goes, we're putting a chair in the middle, and we're praying for everyone. And my family is laid out all over the floor crying on Thanksgiving dinner. And we're the, you know, Christian, like, charismatic people. We're not even part of it. We're on the back wall going, what? It's the power of your voice before God. I want to say to you, anything is possible, and you were born for this. It's in the new covenant. You don't have to be an observer. You can be an active participant with your voice. And I want to encourage you, write your prayer list, and then as a people, go after the face of God and the conversation with God as the core of your strategy. And he says, I will heal. And I will hear. Anything becomes possible. I have this quote. Listen to this quote, Walter Wink. Intercessory prayer is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. Intercession visualizes an alternative future to the one apparently faded by the momentum of current forces. Prayer infuses the air of a time yet to be into the suffocating atmosphere of the present. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. You know, I, I, feel, I feel there's an invitation today. And some of this is going to translate into things that happen in the region. God is calling us outside the four walls right now. He's calling us into public place. He's calling us together across racial denominational lines. I mean, there's things that are in the Second Chronicles 714 lifestyle that really do look like something, and they are a bit disruptive, but I, I just want to say, I believe today that, there's an, that there is, and I know preachers, we say these things, we kind of hype it up, but I, I don't want to hype this up. I I feel like that there is an invitation today. I've been feeling it all morning. To return to the first things. I believe there's an invitation to that 2 Chronicles 714 pathway for this house and for us as individuals. I don't know what that looks like for you. Some of you might need to actually go make some decisions. You know, you might need to Set accountability up in your life. And by the way, accountability doesn't change you. It just helps protect you. What changes you is that beholding of the glory of God. That's what changes you. That's the invitation. But the turning also looks like something. So some people, you need to go give everybody your passwords to your computer and ask them to check your history. Do stuff. 
Wouldn't it feel good to start doing stuff? Be like, you know what? I am not going to be a passive bystander right now. I'm not getting into striving and orphan spirit. I am not, but I am not going to sit back and watch. I was born for more than that. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, today for Providence Community, I ask you, Lord, for the gift of faith. Even as this is a worshiping, seeking of God's face, people, now I ask you for a fresh grace for this, Holy Spirit. I ask you just to begin to rest on this house. And I pray that you would raise up in this house a Second Chronicles 714 people. Not in hype, not in an orphan spirit, but in faith, in the gospel, in sincerity and authenticity. I pray that there would be a people that don't rely upon themselves to fix themselves, but a people that would prostrate themselves, that would enjoy you, that would sing the love songs of the Lamb for hours and for days, and that your kingdom would begin to manifest, and you'd begin to set things in motion that no one can produce. I pray for the storylines that begin to unfold out of this house that we could never produce and never make happen in our own strength. We ask you for that. We ask you for it, Lord. I believe God's calling some of you, not in some presumptuous thing, but he's called you to step in faith to what God's called you to do in me. I remember years ago when the Lord said, to our team to go to the National Mall. I've shared the story here before. But that was impossible. Absolutely impossible. We had no platform. The Lord released a word over years. But I just don't, I need us to understand how ridiculous it was for the Lord to say that to us. It was going to be $2 million to do that thing. We had like 30000 It was stupid ridiculous. It made no sense in the natural. Now, you got to be careful with those words. You don't, you know, you need wise counsel and clarity when you're taking those kinds of steps. But I want to tell you, sometimes God, often God will tell you to do things you can't do, including raise your kids. And and we're in the middle of it, and I'll never forget We've been praying and praying and praying. I was in this hotel room, and I'm crying because it's the night before, and we're $1.4 million in the red. I'm bawling. I'm like, God, you said to do it. My friend had this encounter that you were going to provide. This doesn't make any sense. What is happening? This is the end of our minute. You know all the thoughts? And we're sitting there in this hotel room, and... Heidi Baker walks in because she was with us on the mall and she was on a business call and walks in the room, hangs up the phone, looks at me, doesn't even know what's happening, points at me and starts laughing uncontrollably. Literally, she starts, this is what she starts saying. God uses who he chooses. <laughs> She's laughing. I'm crying. She goes, oh, no, the Lord's going to provide no problem. And I just didn't even believe it. I had to ride on someone else's faith. But we prayed, we lifted our voices, and we obeyed. And I remember, we get to the other side of the event, and we're still a million dollars in the red. 
And I'd met this guy in a divine appointment. Never met this guy in my life. I met this guy in a divine appointment. He calls me about a week after, two weeks after. And he goes, hey, how in the red are you for this thing? He said, I said, I'm a million dollars in the red. He goes, I'll wire it over tomorrow. I said, excuse me? He goes, I'm going to wire it over tomorrow. And you know what? You need a little bit left over so that you're not completely at zero when you move forward. So I'll do that too. And I was thinking about all the stress of thinking God might not come through for me. All the stress of going, it's, my life is over. I obeyed God and he's going to hang me out over the cliff and drop me. What kind of God do you serve? It doesn't mean there's not moments of death, but whenever there's a moment of death, guess what? There's a resurrection. Because that is who he is. And I don't tell you that story to say, look what we did. I want to produce, because we need to wrap up here, but I just, wanna, I, just want, I just want you to have faith to believe again. Get your prayer list. Write it down. Get Bible verses next to it and start a conversation and do it for years. Don't live in self-dependency anymore. Humble yourself. Lift your voice. Seek his face. And he goes, I will hear. So can we stand together? I'm going to stop now because I could. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to confirm this word in the hearts of this church community. I, I even feel, we're going to wrap up here, but... If God is touching your heart where you just are going, you know what? I need to respond to a fresh grace to seek God's face in my life. Not some striving orphan spirit. God's a million miles away. He never pays attention. I'm talking about the faith and the grace to stay in the conversation and to stay in the place of humility. That's it. Stay humble with others in community and stay in the conversation. And don't let a demon in hell get you out of that conversation. No matter what happens, stay in the conversation. I believe if that's you, I just believe there's a, an actual gift of faith, like a spirit of prayer that he wants to impart. So I'm just going to invite anybody that your heart is stirring, come up. We're just going to quietly pray for you. Because I really feel that there's some in the room that God wants to touch you right now. You've been potentially in that place of feeling hopeless about personal things or corporate things or national things or global things, whatever. And I just feel like the Lord is like, wants to minister strength to you so that we don't quit. Lord, I ask you, Holy Spirit, for the oil. I ask you for the oil of your presence. Come Holy Spirit. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org.